Hello and welcome to another episode of Global Sisters. I am Samantha Inesta. I am the founder and executive director of a global nonprofit called Be a Sister to a Sister, where we help survivors of human trafficking, domestic violence, exploitation, and abuse break the cycle of interdependency and find a life of self-sustainability. Thank you and welcome to this episode. Um, the episodes have been spotty. I understand um, if you are someone that likes to listen to these podcasts and find them to be very helpful to you and your life and really opening up your mind and helping you to think, I thank you very much. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. Um, we have all been experiencing a massive heat wave across the world, it feels like. Um, and it's just been really damaging temperatures. And of course, with the heat wave, it's been a little bit hard to um, record as many podcasts as I like to. But now that it's cooled down a little bit, at least it has in the East Coast, um, I'm taking this time to record another podcast. Um, so I thank you if you do still listen to my podcast and would like to continue to listen to my podcast. I thank you very much. Um, I am in the midst of starting to redesign my podcast and redesign it into more than likely a video podcast. So stay tuned for that. Um, I don't unfortunately have a time frame when that's going to happen, but I'm hoping it's going to happen real soon. Um, so, and we are in the middle of a project right now, helping a lot of those women um, that are out there that are very vulnerable, breaking that cycle of interdependency um, and living the their life, their best life of self-sustainability and not having to depend on any type of program, agency, or even person um, to supply their needs and their resources to get them where they need to go because all they need is right there in front of them and it is within them. And so we are in the midst of a project, um, in the midst of doing that. If you are an organization, um, doesn't matter where you are in the world and would love to connect with us and, and do a project together to help a lot of these women and girls that are in these vulnerable interdependent cycles and situations, please reach out to me at my email at samantha at sister the number two, asister.org. Same goes if you are a woman or someone in a vulnerable situation that would like to break the cycle of interdependency. If you are a survivor, please reach out to me, whether it's through this podcast or through my email. I would love to be able to talk with you and help you and give you the resources that you need to truly move forward with your life um, and just live that best life that you're meant to live. So um, in this episode, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about how men are running women's lives um, basically on every front. Um, I know there's a lot of things happening still um, in the United States with Roe v. Wade. The abortion debate is still roaring. Um, the states that have decided to outlaw it are really wreaking havoc on a lot of women's lives. Um, there are women that are trying to counteract a lot of that by going to um, clinics like Planned Parenthood and getting sterilized. Um, and, and also too, there are men that, that, you know, are doing, they feel that they're doing their part and they're going and they're getting, they're getting vasectomies um, because they, they're not ready to be dads or maybe they are dads and they don't want to be a dad again for a myriad of reasons. And guess what? All those reasons are personal, just like they're all personal for women. And it's really not the government's business, especially men that don't know them, that have no ties to them. It is none of their business. Um, and so that is raging on. And, you know, the thing that really gets me is these women that are standing by these men that are making these horrific, horrific 
laws and rules and think that they are untouchable. They're not untouchable because there's going to come a time when these men that are out there um, wreaking hell on so many women's lives, once they see that they've done their job, guess where they're going to turn to next? They're going to look right at you and you are going to be the next target. And then I want to see how much you will acquiesce and be so welcoming of these restrictive laws on your person, on your body, on your reproductive health, on everything. You know, um, I think part of the debate is too, is that there are a lot of women that are supporting these inhumane, horrific, invasive, controlling laws. Uh, these are older women that are well well past childbearing age, well past any age where they would have any type of issue that it would impact what is happening now. And quite frankly, just don't care and just probably forgot what it was like to be that age, forgot what it was like to be childbearing age, to be, to be the age of a woman that is just free and, you know, and is free to do with her body as she chooses. Like, she doesn't remember that apparently. Maybe there's some sort of Alzheimer's or dementia happening there. I have no idea. But they just really totally threw that out the window. And then, so in a way, I will say, I guess you can kind of understand that. doesn't make it right, but I guess you can kind of understand that. But what I don't understand are the women that are still of childbearing age, the women who, you know, will experience these types of issues. Um that they're standing against. Like, I don't understand what they think is going to come out of this. Do they think that they have special privileges that no other women will know? So if I need this done, we're going to have it done. I mean, do they think that that's going to happen? Do they think that they're able to do whatever they need to do behind the scenes and no one will know? You know, it's kind of like those TikTok videos that you see. No one's ever going to know. No one's ever going to know. Well, guess what? People are going to know because none of you are really good at hiding anything, as we can plainly see. Um, and so, you know, that's really what's happening. Um, I don't know how long this is going to continue. I know women are fighting back. Young women are fighting back. There are some men that are fighting back. This is just more of a, you know, keep fighting and keep doing what you can do and just wait and see and hope for the best kind of situation. It's just, there's just so many things happening in the United States um, as it pertains to women's human rights and just human rights in general. Um, I feel like a lot of it is really being eroded in this country and we're all trying to do the best that we can. And I really feel that there are a lot of people, women included, who you know, never thought they would ever really see this day coming. I mean, I know that there were women that were always in fear of Roe v. Roe v. Wade being overturned. And, you know, honestly speaking, quite a few years ago, we have come very, very close to it, but it never happened. And I think that now some women are just still running on the shock that it actually happened. You know, it, it is that, you know, fateful day where women's human rights and their, their ability to have bodily autonomy have been totally ripped from them you know, by mostly white men who think that they know what's best for women, you know, while other, while their peers basically stand by and clap in agreement that yes, we should all be controlled. We should all be told what to do. It is such an Orwellian and quite frankly, Stepford wife kind of knee-jerk reaction to that. So that's what's happening in the United States, um, you know, and it's plastered everywhere. And it's sad because, as I've said in my last podcast, so many women in other countries look to women in this country to give them the hope 
that they would need to be able to fight against the same things in their own countries. And now, I mean, I don't know, they just, they just look at us and, and, and I know that they're just exasperated and they're sighing and they're probably feeling like, you know, where else can we turn? Who else can we turn to now? You know, the, the, the women in this country, our beacon of hope to help us to push forward to protest in our country is now starting to slowly go away. What do we do now? My answer to that is just keep fighting. Don't, my, my opinion is always of, yes, it's great that other women are doing it, but when something happens with them, you can't always depend on someone else for anything. If you feel passionate about something, keep fighting, keep going, keep moving forward. Okay, just because there's one group that fell doesn't mean that you have to fall with them. Just keep going, keep moving forward, you know, and hopefully this country will stand back up again and we can be with you. You know, when that's going to be, unfortunately, I don't have an answer. But hopefully it will be soon. So here is another country that is still experiencing a lot of control um, by, by men um, as it pertains to women. And this country is Nigeria. We don't hear too much about Nigeria. Um, the most Nigeria that was in the news um, was quite a few years ago was the Bring Back Our Girls campaign, which Be a Sister to a Sister was a part of. We did travel to Nigeria. Um, we did speak with a lot of people. Um, and that was, again, I think it was like 2013, 2014, like maybe around there. Um, and Boko Haram was plastered all over the news, all of the girls that they took. And, you know, there was a lot of bad sentiment because the government, it seemed at the time that that government that was in place in Nigeria was not really doing much of anything. You know, um, Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria, which is really where Boko Haram was centered. And of course, like with every terrorist group, no matter what, you know, Muslim or Islamic country that you go to, you know, their message is usually always the same. You know, they want to establish a caliphate, they want to establish Islamic rule, and the only way to do it is to rape and oppress and sometimes kill women, um, which in my mind makes no sense. Um, I don't understand it. I mean, I feel like men everywhere feel like that's the only way they can assert their power in war is to rape, you know, impregnate or torture and kill women. And, and I don't, and to what end, what, what does that say about you? It doesn't give you the glory that you're looking for, you know? Um, and it also makes, you know, others who are, you know, who are part of that religion, who are very peaceful and very loving people. It also makes them look really bad to the world at large, you know, which also brings about a lot of stereotypes and a lot of tropes and a lot of Islamophobia and all of these other things. But basically, you know, I feel like the core belief of a lot of these groups um, is basically to control, torture, and kill women. And it's the same thing with Boko Haram. Um, you know, Nigeria, though, has always had a history of not including women in politics and in, in places where they need to be to speak up for themselves and for other women. And, you know, this past year, Nigeria, you know, proposed a lot of laws, but you know, none of the laws were to give women the equality that they need 
and the, the political participation, frankly, that they need in the country to be able to combat things like Boko Haram and girls being disappeared and all of these other things. Um, one of the proposed amendments to the, the constitution in the country was to grant citizenship to foreign husbands of Nigerian women. Um, that right was, was, is currently granted to Nigerian men that have foreign wives. Um, and it also ensured that women can participate in politics and governmental leadership, which is what should have been happening a long time ago. But of course they have rejected that. Um, you know, because in a country like Nigeria, when you have women that are part of the political process, the governmental leadership, they can, the constitution can be more effective because you are including everyone. You're including men and women, women who are the focus of a lot of societal harm and damage and human rights abuses. They can come in and they can counter all of that. Um, but when you exclude them from that, it's just going to grow, you know, women's inequality and, you know, the societal harm that's done to them by, by cultural norms and by so many other things that is happening there, it, it really can hurt them a lot. Um, you know, even though Nigeria does say that they provide for a lot of gender equality, non-discriminatory um, measures and things that are happening there, women still can continue to be marginalized and be suffer injustices um, because the laws are just very discriminatory. And as I've said, religious and cultural norms, gender stereotypes, obviously, you know, women are not equal to men. You know, women don't get the same type of education that men do. And women are always disproportionately affected when it comes to poverty. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these religious and cultural norms really hurt women a lot. You have things like, you know, child marriage, you have FGM, you know, and you have the whole cultural norm of, you know, a young woman being given to an older man and a dowry and all these kinds of things, you know, and these are just barriers. These cultural norms and these religious laws are barriers for women being recognized and getting the equality that they deserve. Um, and honestly, a lot of these barriers need to be taken down so that women can thrive in their society. Um, but honestly, you know, until this happens, there is still the threat of Boko Haram. There is still the threat of women and girls being taken, mostly girls being taken by these terrorist groups. Um, and a lot of it is, a lot of the reason why um, groups like Boko Haram continue to thrive in a country like Nigeria, even in Abuja, is because Nigeria has a, a very strong patriarchal culture that allows for this to happen, um, that allows for a group like Boko Haram to act, commit acts of violence against women, especially those very religious Islamic women, because they are basically taught that they should be quiet, that they should be obviously should be covered, 
but they but that there are a lot of things that they are they are not supposed to be doing as their religion dictates to them whoever is interpreting it for them because they are women and therefore they don't exist and they are marginalized even further um with their religion um there's a lot of female subordination that is drawn from the interpretations of the religious laws, um, mostly for Shiara law. Um, 12 of the 19 Northern Nigerian states practice this, and this really marginalizes women, takes them away from governmental, civic participation, political participation, doesn't recognize them socially. They lose out on any type of socioeconomic empowerment. They have no property rights and they are not allowed an inheritance. So that further demoralizes and dehumanizes them. Um, the lives of women in Nigeria, the way they're viewed by their male counterparts is they're viewed as expendable. You know, poverty and illiteracy run rampant through the women in Nigeria, especially young women, which makes them a further target for groups like Boko Haram. And, you know, the patriarchal structure is constantly reinforced in their lives and giving men power over these women and giving them more social and economic advantages over them, which makes them much more vulnerable, as I said, to being taken or recruited by Boko Haram. Um, but not everyone is forced. Not everyone is coerced. I mean, not everyone is, is willing, excuse me, not everyone is willing and volunteering to go with them. Some of them are forced. Um, not really coerced, mostly forced um, by being abducted, um, through bondage, and through a, a lot of other um, violent means. And because they are looked at as so expendable, um, groups like Boko Haram will target women and use them to further their, their Islamic agenda by forcing them to be terrorists. You know, doing things like going into marketplaces and blowing themselves up. Um, and putting them in various insurgent roles, you know, and having them basically do their dirty work. Um, and so, you know, women to them, it doesn't really mean anything to them. Um, they can use and abuse them and spit them out and throw them away and it's not really a big deal. Um, and so this is still kind of happening now, the biggest time um, that it was happening in the, the biggest year was 2014, um, where they were, there were 300 girls from Chibok that were abducted. Um, and a lot of them weren't coming back. And in 2018, something similar happened. Uh, they abducted 101 girls. And of course, holding them for ransom and all of this other stuff. And still to this day, all of those girls have not come back. Um, and so a lot of these girls are either believed to have been either dead or they're probably married to a lot of these men. They're probably having their children and, you know, they're, they're probably forced into a life that they really didn't want. Um, you know, or, you know, they, they were used for terrorist insurgencies, which means that they're not alive at all anymore. Um, and so this is this is the state of a lot of women and young girls in Nigeria. And also, too, Nigeria does have um, a, a pretty severe trafficking problem. Um, you know, some of these some of these women and girls end up going to like what they call these witches. Um, they end up getting involved in them and these these witches um, 
end up trafficking them to other countries, even countries like Sicily, um, which is, it is part of Italy, but it is its own country. Um, there are a lot of Nigerian women that are trafficked by these witches or voodoo priestesses or whatever they like to call themselves. And they basically tell them that if they try to run away or if they try to get away from them, that they put a curse on them and whatever that curse is, it will come and it will envelop them. It will wrap them up and they will die or whatever will happen. And because they have such a strong hold on them that they can traffic them to another country by keeping contact with them by the phone. And these women will still do what they say because a lot of these women, as I said, these young girls, they have very low, if not little to no education. They grew up in poverty. They don't know any better. So they believe everything that they hear. Um, and so when they are trafficked by these women, you know, and they tell them, if you try to leave that place, this is what's going to happen to you, that they believe it and they go back to their trafficker when she tells them to. Um, and yes, you know, these are women that are doing that. These are women that are working with men that are doing these, this to these women. And so Nigeria is a state where men are just, all the states in Nigeria are just totally controlling their life, their world, everything, um, which is kind of what the United States sort of feels like right now. Um, I don't know what the abortion situation is in Nigeria. Um, I, I'm not really quite sure of that. I don't even know if that is a thing in Nigeria, but I feel like a lot of us in the United States, it's not the same thing. I'm not saying it is, but we know what it's like, especially now to be constantly controlled by men, to be tortured by men, to be manipulated by men and, and to have our lives taken away from us by men. And so with that, with those two situations coming very close together, not the same, but you know, both working in a patriarchal culture, it's very easy to see how things can get so out of hand and how we still keep need to keep fighting. The women, our sisters in Nigeria, are fighting to still bring back those girls that are still missing. They're still fighting for inclusion, irregardless of what this country is doing. We need to keep fighting, and that's how it needs to be. We need to come together, and we need to keep fighting. If one falls, the other one just picks up the torch and keeps fighting, and we will eventually rise again together. That is the episode tonight. Um, if you're tuning in, I thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I really do um, appreciate all the listeners, whatever listeners I have. Um, and, you know, do some research for yourself. If there's things that you don't understand, do some research for yourself. There's a lot of great resources out there. You can always reach out to me in this podcast and ask me any questions. Um, I do this podcast because I really want to bring to light that all women's, you know, human rights and injustices you know, that are happening are all connected to everything that is happening in the world. It's not a separate subject. I want us all to know and understand that as best as we can and work together. So let's be accountable for every sister around the globe. Thank you so much for listening. Good night.
Welcome to another episode of Global Sisters. I am Samantha Inesta. I am the founder and executive director of a global nonprofit called Be a Sister to a Sister, where we help survivors of human trafficking, domestic violence, exploitation, and abuse break the cycle of interdependency and find a life of self-sustainability. Thank you and welcome to this episode. Um, the episodes have been spotty. I understand um, if you are someone that likes to listen to these podcasts and find them to be very helpful to you and your life and really opening up your mind and helping you to think, I thank you very much. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. Um, we have all been experiencing a massive heat wave across the world, it feels like. Um, and it's just been really damaging temperatures. And of course, with the heat wave, it's been a little bit hard to um, record as many podcasts as I'd like to. But now that it's cooled down a little bit, at least it has in the East Coast, um, I'm taking this time to record another podcast. Um, so I thank you if you do still listen to my podcast and would like to continue to listen to my podcast. I thank you very much. Um, I am in the midst of starting to redesign my podcast and design it into more than likely a video podcast so stay tuned for that um i don't unfortunately have a time frame when that's going to happen but i'm hoping it's going to happen real soon um so and we are in the middle of a project right now helping a lot of those women um that are out there that are very vulnerable breaking that cycle of interdependency um and living the, their life their best life of self-sustainability and not having to depend on any type of program, agency, or even person um, to supply their needs and their resources to get them where they need to go because all they need is right there in front of them and it is within them. And so we are in the midst of a project, um, in the midst of doing that. If you are an organization, um, doesn't matter where you are in the world and would love to connect with us and, and do a project together to help a lot of these women and girls that are in these vulnerable interdependent cycles and situations, please reach out to me at my email at samantha at basister, the number two, asister.org. Same goes if you are a woman or someone in a vulnerable situation that would like to break the cycle of interdependency. If you are a survivor, please reach out to me, whether it's through this podcast or through my email. I would love to be able to talk with you and help you and give you the resources that you need to truly move forward with your life um, and just live that best life that you're meant to live. So um, in this episode, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about how men are running women's lives um, basically on every front. Um, I know there's a lot of things happening still um, in the United States with Roe v. Wade. The abortion debate is still roaring. Um, the states that have decided to outlaw it are really wreaking havoc on a lot of women's lives. Um, there are women that are trying to counteract a lot of that by going to um, clinics like Planned Parenthood and getting sterilized um, and and also too there are men that that you know are doing they feel that they're doing their part and they're going and they're getting they're getting vasectomies um, because they they're not ready to be dads or maybe they are dads and they don't 
want to be a dad again for a myriad of reasons. And guess what? All those reasons are personal, just like they're all personal for women. And it's really not the government's business, especially men that don't know them, that have no ties to them. It is none of their business.、Um, and so that is raging on. And you know, the thing that really gets me is these women that are standing by these men that are making these horrific, horrific. Laws and rules, and think that they are untouchable. They're not untouchable, because there's going to come a time when these men that are out there、um, wreaking hell on so many women's lives, once they see that they've done their job, guess where they're going to turn to next? They're going to look right at you. And you are going to be the next target. And then I want to see how much you will acquiesce and be so welcoming of these restrictive laws on your person, on your body, on your reproductive health, on everything. You know,、um, I think part of the debate is too is that there are a lot of women that are supporting these inhumane, horrific, invasive, controlling laws.、Uh, these are older women that are well. Well past childbearing age, well past any age where they would have any type of issue that it would impact what is happening now, and quite frankly, just don't care and just probably forgot what it was like to be that age, forgot what it was like to be childbearing age, to be to be the age of a woman that is just free and you know and is free to do with her body as she chooses. Like she doesn't remember that apparently. Maybe there's some sort of Alzheimer's or dementia happening there. I have no idea. But they just really totally threw that out the window, and then, so in a way, I will say, I guess you can kind of understand that doesn't make it right, but I guess you can kind of understand that. But what I don't understand are the women that are still of childbearing age, the women who you know will experience these types of issues、um, that they're standing against. Like I don't understand. What they think is going to come out of this? Do they think that they have special privileges that no other women will know? So if I need this done, we're going to have it done. I mean, do they think that that's going to happen? Do they think that they're able to do whatever they need to do behind the scenes and no one will know? You know, it's kind of like those TikTok videos that you see. No one's ever going to know. No one's ever going to know. Well, guess what? People are going to know because none of you are really good at hiding anything, as we can plainly see.、Um, and so. You know that's really what's happening.、Um, I don't know how long this is going to continue. I know women are fighting back. Young women are fighting back. There are some men that are fighting back. This is just more of a you know keep fighting and keep doing what you can do and just wait and see and hope for the best kind of situation. It's just there's just so many things happening in the United States、um, as it pertains to women's human rights and just human rights in general. Um, I feel like a lot of it is really being eroded in this country, and we're all trying to do the best that we can. And I really feel that there are a lot of people, women included, who you know never thought they would ever really see this day coming. I mean, I know that there were women that were always in fear of Roe v. Roe v. Wade being overturned, and you know, honestly speaking, quite a few years ago, we have come very, very close to it, but it never happened. And I think that. Now some women are just still running on the shock that it actually happened. You know, it it is that you know fateful day where women's human rights and their their ability to have bodily autonomy have been totally ripped from them. You know, by mostly white men who think that they know what's best for women. You know, while other while their peers basically stand by and clap in agreement that yes, 
we should all be controlled. We should all be told what to do. It is such an Orwellian and quite frankly, Stepford wife kind of knee-jerk reaction to that. So that's what's happening in the United States, um, you know, and it's plastered everywhere. And it's sad because as I've said in my last podcast, so many women in other countries look to women in this country to give them the hope that they would need to be able to fight against the same things in their own countries. And now, I mean, I don't know, they just, they just look at us and, and, and I know that they're just exasperated and they're sighing and they're probably feeling like, you know, where else can we turn? Who else can we turn to now? You know, the, the, the women in this country, our beacon of hope to help us to push forward to protest in our country is now starting to slowly go away. What do we do now? My answer to that is just keep fighting. Don't, my, my opinion is always of, yes, it's great that other women are doing it, but when something happens with them, you can't always depend on someone else for anything. If you feel passionate about something, keep fighting, keep going, keep moving forward. Okay, just because there's one group that fell doesn't mean that you have to fall with them. Just keep going, keep moving forward, you know, and hopefully this country will stand back up again and we can be with you. You know, when that's going to be, unfortunately, I don't have an answer. But hopefully it will be soon. So here is another country that is still experiencing a lot of control um, by, by men um, as it pertains to women. And this country is Nigeria. We don't hear too much about Nigeria. Um, the most Nigeria that was in the news um, was quite a few years ago was the Bring Back Our Girls campaign, which Be a Sister to a Sister was a part of. We did travel to Nigeria. Um, we did speak with a lot of people. Um, and that was, again, I think it was like 2013, 2014, like maybe around there. Um, and Boko Haram was plastered all over the news, all of the girls that they took. And, you know, there was a lot of bad sentiment because the government, it seemed at the time that that government that was in place in Nigeria was not really doing much of anything. You know, um, Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria, which is really where Boko Haram was centered. And of course, like with every terrorist group, no matter what, you know, Muslim or Islamic country that you go to, you know, their message is usually always the same. You know, they want to establish a caliphate, they want to establish Islamic rule, and the only way to do it is to rape and oppress and sometimes kill women, um, which in my mind makes no sense. Um, I don't understand it. I mean, I feel like men everywhere feel like that's the only way they can assert their power in war is to rape, you know, impregnate or torture and kill women and and I don't and to what end what what does that say about you it doesn't give you the glory that you're looking for you know um and it also makes you know others who are you know who are part of that religion who are very peaceful and very loving people it also makes them look really bad to the world at large you know which also brings about a lot of stereotypes and a lot of tropes and a lot of islamophobia and all of these other things but basically, you know, I feel like the core belief of a lot of these groups, um, 
is basically to control, torture, and kill women. And it's the same thing with Boko Haram.、Um, You know, Nigeria though has always had a history of not including women in politics and in, in places where they need to be to speak up for themselves and for other women. And you know, this past year, Nigeria, you know, proposed a lot of laws, but you know, none of the laws were to give women the equality that they need and the the political participation, frankly, that they need in the country to be able to combat things like Boko Haram and. Girls being disappeared and all of these other things.、Um, one of the proposed amendments to the, the constitution in the country was to grant citizenship to foreign husbands of Nigerian women.、Um, that right was was is currently granted to Nigerian men that have foreign wives,、um, and it also ensured. That women can participate in politics and governmental leadership, which is what should have been happening a long time ago, but of course they have rejected that.、Um, you know, because in a country like Nigeria, when you have women that are part of the political process, the governmental leadership, they can, the constitution can be more effective because you are including everyone. You're including men and women, women who are the focus of a lot of societal harm and damage and human rights abuses. They can come in and they can counter all of that.、Um, but when you exclude them from that, it's just going to grow. You know, women's inequality and you know the societal harm that's done to them by by cultural norms and by so many other things that is happening there. It, it really can hurt them a lot.、Um, you know, even though Nigeria does say that they provide for a lot of gender equality, non-discriminatory、um, measures, and things that are happening there, women still can continue to be marginalized and be suffer injustices、um, because. The laws are just very discriminatory, and as I've said, religious and cultural norms, gender stereotypes. Obviously, you know, women are not equal to men. You know, women don't get the same type of education that men do, and women are always disproportionately affected when it comes to poverty.、Um, and so, you know, a lot of these religious and cultural norms really hurt women a lot. You have things like, you know, child marriage. You have FGM. You know, and You have the whole cultural norm of, you know, a young woman being given to an older man and a dowry and all these kinds of things, you know. And these are just barriers. These cultural norms and these religious laws are barriers for women being recognized and getting the equality that they deserve.、Um, and honestly, a lot of these barriers need to be taken down so that women can thrive in their society.、Um, but. Honestly, you know, until this happens, there is still the threat of Boko Haram. There is still the threat of women and girls being taken, mostly girls being taken by these terrorist groups.、Um, and a lot of it is a lot of the reason why、um, groups like Boko Haram continue to thrive in a country like Nigeria, even in Abuja, is because Nigeria has a a very Strong patriarchal culture that allows for this to happen,、um, that allows for a group like Boko Haram 
to act, commit acts of violence against women, especially those very religious Islamic women, because they are basically taught that they should be quiet, that they should obviously should be covered, but they but that there are a lot of things that they are they are not supposed to be doing as their religion dictates to them, whoever is interpreting it for them, because they are women and therefore they don't exist and they are marginalized even further um, with their religion. Um, there's a lot of female subordination that is drawn from the interpretations of the religious laws, um, mostly for Shiara law. Um, 12 of the 19 Northern Nigerian states practice this, and this really marginalizes women, takes them away from governmental, civic participation, political participation, doesn't recognize them socially. They lose out on any type of socioeconomic empowerment. They have no property rights and they are not allowed an inheritance. So that further demoralizes and dehumanizes them. Um, the lives of women in Nigeria, the way they're viewed by their male counterparts is they're viewed as expendable. You know, poverty and illiteracy run rampant through the women in Nigeria, especially young women, which makes them a further target for groups like Boko Haram. And, you know, the patriarchal structure is constantly reinforced in their lives and giving men power over these women and giving them more social and economic advantages over them, which makes them much more vulnerable, as I said, to being taken or recruited by Boko Haram. Um, but not everyone is forced, not everyone is coerced. I mean, not everyone is, is willing, excuse me, not everyone is willing and volunteering to go with them. Some of them are forced, um, not really coerced, mostly forced um, by being abducted, um, through bondage, and through a, a lot of other um, violent means. And because they are looked at as so expendable, um, groups like Boko Haram will target women and use them to further their, their Islamic agenda by forcing them to be terrorists. You know, doing things like going into marketplaces and blowing themselves up um, and putting them in various insurgent roles, you know, and having them basically do their dirty work. Um, and so, you know, women to them, it doesn't really mean anything to them. Um, they can use and abuse them and spit them out and throw them away, and it's not really a big deal. Um, and so this is still kind of happening now. The biggest time um, that it was happening, the, the biggest year was 2014, um, where they were there were 300 girls from Chibok that were abducted, um, and a lot of them weren't coming back. And in 2018, something similar happened. Uh, they abducted 101 girls and of course holding them for ransom and all of this other stuff and still to this day all of those girls have not come back um, and so a lot of these girls are either believed to have been either dead or they're probably married to a lot of these men they're probably having their children and you know they're they're probably forced into a life that they really didn't want um, you know, or, you know, they, they were used for terrorist insurgencies, which means that they're not alive at all anymore. 
Um, and so this is this is the state of a lot of women and young girls in Nigeria. And also, too, Nigeria does have um, a, a pretty severe trafficking problem. Um, you know, some of these some of these women and girls end up going to like what they call they're these witches. Um, they end up getting involved in them, and these these witches um, end up trafficking them to other countries, even countries like Sicily, um, which is it is part of Italy, but it is its own country. Um, there are a lot of Nigerian women that are trafficked by these witches or voodoo priestesses or whatever they like to call themselves. And they basically tell them that if they try to run away or if they try to get away from them, that they put a curse on them and whatever that curse is, it will come and it will envelop them. It will wrap them up and they will die or whatever will happen. And because they have such a strong hold on them that they can traffic them to another country by keeping contact with them by the phone. And these women will still do what they say because a lot of these women, as I said, these young girls, they have very low, if not little to no education. They grew up in poverty. They don't know any better. So they believe everything that they hear. Um, and so when they are trafficked by these women, you know, and they tell them, if you try to leave that place, this is what's going to happen to you, that they believe it and they go back to their trafficker when she tells them to. Um, and yes, you know, these are women that are doing that. These are women that are working with men that are doing these, this to these women. And so Nigeria is a state where men are just, all the states in Nigeria are just totally controlling their life, their world, everything, um, which is kind of what the United States sort of feels like right now. Um, I don't know what the abortion situation is in Nigeria. Um, I, I'm not really quite sure of that. I don't even know if that is a thing in Nigeria, but I feel like a lot of us in the United States, it's not the same thing. I'm not saying it is, but we know what it's like, especially now to be constantly controlled by men, to be tortured by men, to be manipulated by men and, and to have our lives taken away from us by men. And so with that, with those two situations coming very close together, not the same, but you know, both working in a patriarchal culture, it's very easy to see how things can get so out of hand and how we still keep need to keep fighting. The women, our sisters in Nigeria are fighting to still bring back those girls that are still missing. They're still fighting for inclusion, irregardless of what this country is doing. We need to keep fighting and that's how it needs to be. We need to come together and we need to keep fighting. If one falls, the other one just picks up the torch and keeps fighting and we will eventually rise again together. That is the episode tonight. Um, if you're tuning in, I thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I really do um, appreciate all the listeners, whatever listeners I have. Um, and you know, do some research for yourself. If there's things that you don't understand, do some research for yourself. There's a lot of great resources out there. You can always reach out to me in this podcast and ask me any questions. Um, I do this podcast because I really want to bring to light that all women's, you know, human rights and injustices, you know, that are happening are all connected to everything that is happening in the world. It's not a separate subject. I want us all to know and understand that as best as we can and work together. So let's be accountable for every sister around the globe. Thank you so much for listening. Good night.